Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the 29th episode of the Pirate Rugby Pod. We've hit 800 YouTube subscribers, so a huge thank you to everyone for tuning in. You may now see that a super thanks button is now available below the video, which is a little heart with a dollar sign in it. This is because the channel has grown to the point where we are now able to monetize it. If you click that button, you can give us a tip if you like what we do. We don't set the prices on YouTube, and of course, no one has to click if they don't want to. Thankfully, Hugh and I both have our other jobs to pay the bills. We will also be rolling out channel membership soon, where for 99p per month, you can get even more exclusive content. If anyone has any ideas for what we should include in that, please do let us know. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our Substack as well. Links are in the link tree link in the description box below. If you subscribe to the Substack, you'll get all of our content sent direct to your email inbox, including our Sunday read feature, which is a long read article that we do every week. This week, Ender wrote about five ideas for rugby broadcasters to improve the viewing experience for their customers. So make sure that you check that out. Okay, let's hop into the show and do our moment of the week. What was your rugby moment of the week this week, mate? Mine was just the, the return of Super Rugby and in particular um, the game between the opening game between the Chiefs and the Crusaders. Uh, Super Rugby for me is like I always like I have a nostalgic feeling about it. I've always gotten up for it. I, I always get excited about it. And, you know, we're, we're getting through the Six Nations now Um, we're quite close to the end. So it's great having Super Rugby back. I loved getting up at. Yeah, setting the alarm for five to six Friday morning, getting up for a game and especially a game that was played in such good conditions. Running rugby, seeing Damian McKenzie back on the pitch was just something to behold. So I was just delighted to to have it back. We had a great show on it last week. Um, it does seem like their you know, interest in it has maybe fallen fallen away somewhat, um, especially in the Northern Hemisphere. But for me, it always has kind of a, a special place. So absolutely delighted it's back. What was yours? So mine was uh, a try that was scored in the Paris derby in the top 14. So I'm sure a lot of people will have seen this by now. So Dakawaka, the winger playing for Stade Francais, um, scored an unbelievable 100, 110 metre uh, try, picked up the ball. He, he didn't actually pick it up in his own dead ball area. He picked it up on his own five metre, ran back into the dead ball area to beat a man, then ran out of it, chipped it. It bounced near a player who was injured. He picked it up and then just outsprinted the cover um, defence and, and scored a try. It was unbelievable, like the definition of a solo effort. And, you know, I kind of went into that game. You talked about Super Rugby. So we're now in the time of year where Super Rugby and Top 14 overlap. And they overlap for quite a few months now. So you watch Super Rugby in the morning and it's obviously Super Rugby offloading, running, blah, blah, blah. And then you come to Top 14 and it can feel like a massive culture shock. It's like watching a different sport sometimes. It's just so different. So I kind of went into this Paris derby on Saturday night, I think it was, um, with preconceptions of what the game was going to be like. I was expecting a typical French, like 14 points to 11 or something game. And it wasn't that at all. There was loads of tries. It was dead exciting. Uh, a fantastic performance by Stade Francais. And I think I, I think I even had it on mute. And I just kind of looked up. I was doing something else. And I just saw... I saw him catch the ball and then run past and I thought, oh, he's beat be a defender there. And I thought, the defence isn't set in front of him, you know. And then he, he went on and do it. It was kind of like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I think he actually scored another try in this game as well and should have scored a third, but ran himself into touch. So, yeah, loved that. And obviously he's gone a bit viral on Twitter now, so everyone should have seen it. 
Um, so yeah, that was my moment of the week. If you have a moment of the week, dear listener, hop onto either our Twitter or our YouTube and let us know in the comments or the replies, and we'll read out your comment, your moments of the week on next week's show. Right, let's not uh, hesitate in getting into the Six Nations chat then, mate. So this is the first ever Pirate Rugby derby. Um, this is the first t- time a team that you support and a team that I support have played each other, as far as I'm aware. Um, so it was Ireland versus Wales, the big one. Uh, to the victor go the spoil. So I'll let you go first. What did you make of the Irish performance? Because I've seen it in some places saying that the Ireland were a bit disappointing, a bit sloppy. I don't know. Do, do you think that's fair? That was my initial reaction um, after watching the game for the first time. But I've rewatched it since. And I actually think Ireland were a lot more composed than maybe the the, the general narrative that, that is out there. Like, yes, they, they were sloppier than previous games. But I think overall they played so well. Like, like all all the usual suspects, like Bundyaki getting man of the match yet again. He was just an absolute weapon in the game. Um, he just goes from strength to strength since that since that World Cup. Um, yeah, there there is that narrative out there. But for me, yeah, that they played very well, uh, very composed at times. There, there's been a bit of chat about the lineup, you know, kind of maybe going a bit astray. Like we've we lost our first lineup. Um, of the campaign uh, in this game, which is the third round, which is really impressive. But I don't think, you know, the, the lineup absolutely capitulated. There were a couple of issues. Like there were some sloppy balls for sure, but it wasn't as if the, you know, there were loads of overthrows and, you know, a lot of turnovers uh, in possession and stuff like that. So I think that was a bit exaggerated, but definitely not where it was. Um, but certainly up there, I think the scrum was pretty solid as well. And uh, we've spoken to a reporter a good bit on here. Um, I thought he, Again, maybe shut up some of his um, doubters and a little help critics with a, with a, just a little bit of help from Peter Omani. With a little bit of help, <laughs> and you know he was uh, penalised in the game as well. Let's not shy away from that. But I thought again, the, the scrum was pretty much a weapon. Um, it was really interesting. I think in the first half, Ireland's you know barely kicked the ball. Um, I think it yeah. was on. Was it? I think there were, after 17 minutes, I, I put down. I mean, I was, there were no box box kicks from Ireland. Um, so I think they really, you know, they're just a joy. Like the, we'll get on to the England game later. But for me, watching Ireland is such a it's such a pleasure because you get to see them spreading the ball and throwing offloads, just playing with that bit of freedom. And every player just seems so clued into it to what the team is trying to achieve um, and how good is Jack Crowley as well. Like, I know he, he wasn't maybe a standout player, but I thought he's just like, where, like we, we, we often forget that Sexton isn't there anymore and it you, you barely true. even notice it with, with Crowley there. And, and that that's, I think, um, a massive credit to, to Crowley and to the team around them as well and to the coaches for backing him. Like, this experience is really going to stand to him in the future and he's such a young player, but... Yeah, he had a great game, I thought. Um, but yeah, it was exciting to watch Ireland play in the first half. Uh, again, a few a few errors and everything, but I think maybe that's to be expected against Wales. Like maybe they were just not as clued in as you know a, a game away uh, to France. Like I know it's potentially a bit disrespectful to say that, but uh, let's call a spade a spade. Um, like Ireland played, you know, they were they. Pretty much smashed Italy, we can say. Not 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 as bad as previous years in terms of you know it being a cricket score, but you know what, did they play to the best of their ability in that game? I certainly don't think so. Um, but then in the second half, you know, I think that there was a bit of a lull period. I think like I think Wales came out pretty well in the second half and they kind of put it up to Ireland. But again, Ireland's defence was so immense, and then both teams started to play a bit more conservatively. There were a lot of kicks, which I think was to be expected. But then Ireland pulled away um in the end but yeah like i could name the entire uh, starting lineup um but just some absolute standouts yeah aki mccarthy crowley for me i thought um, frawley as well at fullback and um, got he had big yeah. boots to fill and i think he was uh, really composed i was lovely to see him get that try as well yeah i was going through because i do my stats posts the day after the game and i was going through ireland stats and everybody had double figure stats in everything it was ridiculous like yeah, particularly the irish forwards Tyburn's yeah. stats in every single game are a joke. James Lowe's stats. Like, if I'm James Lowe, I'm pissed off at Tyburn because James Lowe is like, I'm clearly the best player in the whole Six Nations except for Tyburn. Like, and it's just not interesting to, to say how good Tyburn is now. But to your point yeah. about, you know, the lack of kicking in things, 
So Ireland kicked less than both Scotland's and England's this weekend. That's just of the home nations. I don't have the stats for France and Italy to hand. But so I do these graphs on Twitter, which are like the, the spider graphs. So they're like it's basically circles. And the wider your circle is, the more attacking you were. And Ireland's circle is the widest out of all the home nations this weekend. The the ball in, in playtime in this game was something like 44 minutes and there was one seven minute passage of play with the yeah. ball didn't go up. Like, that's insane. Meanwhile, Wales's one is much smaller. So for audio listeners, I'm making big and small circles with my hands. Um, the Wales's one was like a, a different planet of how we played compared to how you played. So do you think that's who Ireland are now or do you think it's kind of a, a one-off game thing? Are you now a ball in hand team? I think Ireland have been trending towards becoming a, a more ball in hand team. Like they do, like every, like we, we've said it numerous times, all the best teams in the world kick the ball quite a lot, 20 to 30 kicks a game. And sometimes I think it depends on the opposition at times and, and obviously on the conditions, like conditions were were pretty favourable as well. So they allowed, you know, the teams, both teams to, to, uh, to play a bit more of an expansive game. Um, but I, I certainly think so. Like so far, the Six Nations Ireland seem to be playing a lot more with ball in hand, um, you know. But I think they've been doing that for quite a while. Like, and it's quite interesting seeing Ireland under pressure, or you know, if they receive a kickoff, they're not afraid to to run it a bit and set up the you know a ruck in the middle of the park so that the ball gets back to to low and, and he fires it up about a hundred meters up the up the pitch. Um, it's ridiculous. Um, so they. They just seem to be playing with a lot of confidence as well, and they're not. They don't seem like they're they're nervous, and, and they just know exactly what they're doing. But they they certainly seem to be playing with even more ball in hand. But again, I think the big test now will be against England to see if they you know if they if they try to do that. I I don't think they'll be allowed to because I think England will slow Ireland's ball down, um, especially at rock time. I think that that's a given, and and I think. I, I don't think England are going to beat Ireland, but I think it'll, you know, a lot of people are saying Ireland could win by 40 points. I don't think that's going to be the case. It's away from home. And I think in the last couple of years as well, England seemed to be quite good and, and successful at slowing Ireland down and making it, making it sloppy, making it a bit of a dogfight. Um, but yeah, it, it's, for me, it, it's, it's excellent rugby to watch. Um, I don't know. What, what are your, I've, I've spoken a lot about Ireland. Like, yeah. what, what are your thoughts from, from Welsh perspective, looking at that Irish I, team? I how, agree. How yeah. Playing? I think it was a it was a brutal game, and I think it was very high quality from both teams. Obviously, Wales the the thing that hampered Wales the most was themselves, especially in that first half, the amount of penalties that we gave away when we had the ball. Like without the ball, we were pretty solid, and I know like we conceded four tries, and but like, the last of those four tries was in the 82nd minute, and um, you know it's like oh I don't want to be like oh we worked hard RFC, but. I think the reason that some people are saying Ireland were a bit sloppy or a bit off their peak was because I think Wales made them look like that. And I think, to be fair, this Welsh team shouldn't be that close to Ireland, really. Like, if you were to expect any of the Welsh regions to go away to Leinster, you'd expect 50 points on pretty much all of them. So it's a it's a credit to Gatland. And um, Russ Petty did a post today about comparing last year's Six Nations to this year's Six Nations. Wales's stats are pretty much better across the board. And I think that is a massive credit to Gatlin to take what is essentially a scratch team and turn them into that in such a short period of time. So, you know, I don't think any Welsh fan was expecting us to go over to Dublin and win. If they were, they were insane. But I think we were a lot closer than we expected to be. I think we frustrated Ireland with our defence quite a lot. I think... We need to progress our attack and we need to come up with some new ideas in attack because in that second half period where we were on top and we were doing the old fashioned Gatland Warren ball, um, just hitting out one out runners, one out runners to try and tire you out. And, and that worked in 2019. But A, we don't have the ball carriage to do it anymore. And B, now that you're doing the 6 2 split, Farrell emptied his, well, not quite emptied his bench, but Farrell brought on five new forwards from between 50 and 55 minutes. And that just completely negated Wales's um, fitness advantage because Warren Gatlin's game plan has always been around being fitter than the opposition. But if you're doing a 60 split, it doesn't matter anymore. That completely takes away. And I think Farrell plays it perfectly with his substitutions and has had a great game plan. When all the Welsh fans saw that Irish bench and saw how meaty was the word that was going around that Irish bench was, um, it was like, oh, crikey. So 
it was better than I think a lot of people expected. And I think Wales are still on an upward trajectory. I think we need to come up with new ideas in attack. We need to come up with set plays. We need to come up with more shape, more variation, because, like I say, the old game plan. And Wales's attack, when we've been coached by Gatland, has never been good. Like, we've won Grand Slams with, like, record fewest tries scored. I think we've got the record for the title with the most tries, which was under Pivak, which was 20 tries. And we've got the record for the title with the fewest tries, which was two years earlier under Gatland with 10 tries to win a Six Nations title. Or it might have been 2012, actually. Like we scored two tries against Italy in 2012 when we got the Grand Slam. Like that that's just the history of Warren Gatlin's Wales. That's what we're like. So kind of OK. Um, Cam Winnett continues to be excellent. Like Squidge Rugby tweeted, like, if you put Hugo Keenan in a Wales jersey, how much better than Cam Winnett would, be, would he be playing? That might be a bit of hyperbole, but I think Cam Winnett deserves all the praise in the world for how he's playing at the moment. Sam Costello as well, an unbelievable defensive performance. Um, 17 tackles. He had Bundyaki running running at him all day and didn't really flinch. Speaking of Bundyaki, um, it's interesting to me that if you most of the best teams in the world, even if you include France, who we'll talk about later, you can name who their 12 is. Like if I ask you who's Springboks 12, you go Diolande. Who's uh, Ireland's 12? Bundyaki. Who's France's 12? Um, Dante. Scotland's Tupolotti. Whereas all the other teams, like England, who's their 12? Don't really know. You know Australia, who's their 12? You know, some people might have suggestions who, who it might be, but there might be consensus. Like Wales is kind of Nick Tompkins because there's not really any other options at the moment. Um, I just find that interesting that 12 has been such a key position. And for a while, it felt like 12 was a bit lost because you had like the double playmakers like Ford and Farrell or, or whoever it was. Excuse me. Um, but now it feels like the crash ball 12 is back and everyone because now everyone in Wales is saying like, oh, we need a uh, a proper crash ball 12 to we'll change our game. And I'm, and I'm like, I remember when we had Jamie Roberts and Welsh fans were like, get Jamie Roberts out of the team. He's not exciting enough. He doesn't distribute enough. He doesn't step enough. And now look at us. We're all begging for a Jamie Roberts style player to come back. So I find that quite interesting. And Ireland are very lucky to to have Bundy because yes, he, he is great at that crash ball, but we all know he offers so much more than that, especially in defence and then in attack. He's got a good passing game, good offloading game, plays with his heart and his sleeve. Like he's he's the ultimate, I think, competitor. Um, and I think Ireland are, are just very very lucky to have him. And again, like I think Rob, a player like Robbie Henshaw. I know we're talking about a thirteen here, but I think he's been really good since he's come back from injury. Um. You know, Ringrose is out with an injury at the moment, so I think he's got a real fight in his, his hands to get that jersey back. But Ireland have some special talent in, in, in the uh, centres at the moment. But um, Big McCluskey apparently is off to Bayonne, is it? That's the rumour? Allegedly, but he is contracted to Ulster until 2025. But as we know, so was their head coach, who we discussed last week, who is now gone. Mm. Um, he was actually contracted for at least another season. Um, Maybe that that's a discussion for another day. Whatever's going on in uh, Ulster rugby, but yeah, that that's the rumor that he's going to go. Mm. If he does, fair play to him because he he he's not like it's 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 tough for him to get it ahead of those brilliant players we just named. Um, and if he's offered a big contract, yeah, power to him. Yeah, and I'll just and, yeah bring the next Leinster freak clone off the rank and drop him in, and we're fine. Uh, speaking of, you so you thought Frawley was good? Do you think he's He's a fullback now. Is that debate settled? I don't think so. Uh, it's really interesting listening to uh, the Left Wing podcast, which is gets a lot of heat from certain fans. Um, I kind of like it because it's a little bit controversial, and you do, it, you know you get Luke Fitzgerald on there, uh, who isn't everybody's cup of tea. But I like to I like to change up my my podcasts, and he isn't afraid to give an um you know an opinion that a lot of people won't like. And he one of his points is on on Frawley, He thinks that he should have already left, you know, Leinster to to become the number one 10 because he is, he does want to be a, a 10, but he is now, unfortunately, this utility player who can play about across the back line and he isn't getting that opportunity to to focus on 10. And then, of course, he plays for Ireland the weekend and where does he play? He plays a 15, filling in for somebody who was injured. But I, I certainly do, do think he, like he has the talent, but I don't know where his, I, I would say his, his best position is 10. That's where I've seen him most play. Um, he seems like a really good player. Um, 
but he's so valuable having that player as well though that hybrid player who can play across the 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 back line it really um, helps the 6-2 as well having a player like that it does indeed yeah um like we all know that Joey Carberry when he was at Leinster as well he wasn't he, he, quite similar to Fonny actually like he was he wanted to be a 10 and that's the reason obviously one of the main reasons why he went to Munster but Leinster often played him at fullback where he was actually really effective as well and um, because just like you talked about that dual playmaker role like between him and Saxon at times when they're both in the pitch you had so many different options and so many different ball players. But yeah, I, I I certainly think he should be there thereabouts. But I'd like to see him get get more time at ten. And it was interesting. This this exact point came up um, on the breakdown podcast or show from Sky Sports in New Zealand, um, who mainly cover Super Rugby and all things uh, the All Blacks. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard of them. And they were, you know, John Kerman's point was that you know a lot of you know if a player does play 10 and 15, like he him personally would like to see that player get more time at 10, develop himself as, as a 10 and then get, then get time to, to step in at fullback. But first and foremost, you know, 10 is probably the most difficult position on the field. So you need to get as much game, game time as possible. Like if you look at somebody like Barrett, you know, he wasn't playing 15 half the time and 10. Uh, the other half at the beginning of his career, he was 10, uh, established himself and then he was moved back. So I think, Hopefully, Farley gets an opportunity um, to to do that. Yeah, I can, Wales are kind of bucking the trend at the moment with an out and out fifteen because most other sides play a, a fly half at fullback. So I, that's why I kind of half expected Kai Evans from the Dragons to be playing fullback for us because he get, he does play ten, and people think of him as having a bigger boot. But funny enough, I've looked at the stats and they don't necessarily reflect that in the URC so far. But yeah. Um, it's an interesting point. So it'd be interesting to see where he moves on because he's not the first, probably isn't the first choice in any position at Leinster, let alone Ireland. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Do so you think Grand Slam, are you more confident or less confident about the Grand Slam going forward now? Or not changed? More confident, quietly confident. I think unchanged probably. I did, like, I, I won't lie, when I was watching this game, I had my eyes on, on Twitter probably for longer than I did on the actual screen um, and maybe that's why uh, you know on first glance I thought it wasn't a, an amazing art performance then when I watched it back as I said I thought they played much better but uh, I, for me it was a foregone conclusion um, but I think Ireland's next game now against England in two weeks time is going to be like people might think that that's a foregone conclusion I think again as I said earlier Ireland are going to win but England are going to make it bloody difficult. I actually I'm looking forward to that because I think England they're just going to come out all guns blazing, play the most backward game of rugby, uh, not style of rugby I should say, and just slow everything down. There'll be a red card. Yeah, you heard it here first. Um, okay, let's segue onto that then. So again, we'll talk about the victors again first. So start with Scotland. For me, Scotland's reinvention this season is going massively under the radar. Like some people are talking about it now, but all the attention has been on England's rebuild, and we'll come on to that again later. Um, and obviously, it's got the new coach, and Wales got all the new players and things. Scotland have completely changed how they play, and it's really impressive. And they have uh, just gone from this UA team, this attack. Um, Attack first, carve you open type team too. Um, we're just going to kick the ball. So they carried 86 times against England. Like they carried the least of any team and they kick the most of any team. And it's working absolutely perfectly for them. Yeah, I know they had a bit of a tricky second half against both Wales and France. But it just suited. And, you know, you have to bear in mind that they gave England a 10 point head start in this game, basically, and still won it pretty comfortably, pretty easily to be honest i don't think there were some um scottish scottish players who had excellent games like uh scott cummings in the second row thought was excellent um finn as he normally is in the centers as well and of course big doan on the wing um but they kind of they just needed a few players to have a few special moments and that was enough to beat england so i think you can now say that scotland's are clearly a step above and for me i'm always kind of got the debate in my head of are they the leader of the chasing pack or are they the um, chasers of the leading pack in terms of the world and the world rugby rankings and the top four and things. And I think they're definitely a clear step ahead of most of the other teams in the six nations for sure. Um, 
but yeah, uh, I just think it, it's you, Gregor Townsend has got a lot of stick, but you have to say that he's completely changed the way that Scotland play this season. And I feel like this is a lesson learned from the World Cup of the, the he's gone right now. If I want to be taken seriously, I need to change. And he has changed and it is working. Finn Russell still 100% off the tee. And I don't, I know that like goal kicking yeah. is kind of like seen as a bit of an extra and it's like not seen as that important. And you don't necessarily rate a 10 a lot of the time on their goal kicking. But remember the World Cup and like the, the World Cup final and South Africa's struggles with goal kicking and things. And he had some hard kicks against England and he nailed them all. So I, that deserves a shout out for me, Finn Russell's goal kicking. But yeah. I don't know. Let's keep it on Scotland to begin with. So, what 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 do you make of them and how they're playing at the moment? Just touching on on Gregor Townsend, I think that shows you know such maturity from a coach as well to maybe accept and, and look at himself and look at the way things look at the results and the way things were going, and just decide because it, it, you're right. Like it is a different style that they're playing. Like it's it's so clear watching them that, that the amount of times that they're kicking compared to previous times with Finn at, at, at fly app as well. Like a lot of Outsiders might think that they would play a more running style game, um, which they did for for years, and it didn't really result in any silverware, did it? Um, but yeah, credit to Townsend to for having that maturity of saying we need to change things up. Um, but like, yeah, I don't think uh, like for me this was a very frustrating game to watch, um, from both the Scottish perspective and and an English spectrum, just as a spectacle, uh, spectacle as a whole. I think Scotland just did about did enough to hang in there, and I think Duan van der Merwe was the winner. Like he he was the the difference. Uh, he he made the difference between um both sides. I think Finn is playing really well. Um, he's justifying his cheeky little two line two lines that he has in his hair. I don't know if you've, you've I'm sure you've noticed them um, yeah, with his kicking display, but his kicking display has been um, outstanding. He's, as he always is, he's playing with a smile on his face and, and, you know, on his face and they're still taking risks. But yeah, it, it's it's kind of potentially a banana skin for Ireland, um, with the way Scotland are playing, because let's face it, they, they should have been realistically, they did beat France, um, which I think, yeah, and, and the, for me, that that's no coincidence. Like this, obviously, uh, this obvious change in game plan is is paying dividends. Um, so I think that that really makes that fixture against Ireland all that more juicy. But yeah, they're 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 a fun team to watch as well. Um, when you know when they when they have those superstars making those breaks. Um, Duhan is, yeah, yeah, he's a superstar. There was a, there was a debate on the scoop board about whether Duhan. Is he can will the um, Springboks say that he's one that got away? And I'm like, you're kind of fine with the wingers that you got. You don't need all the wingers. Yeah. But it kind of, it reminded me of the try he scored in the 1872 Cup against Glasgow at um, at the uh, Murrayfield again when he just burned down the wing and he just put his put the hammer down. Scotland are drawn comparisons that I've heard from a few different places now. People are comparing them to New Zealand. Now at first you're like. Are we really comparing Scotland to the All Blacks here? Like, come on. But I kind of see it in that they control the game. They don't overwork. They don't force anything. And they let you make the mistake and then they pick you off on their mistake. So two of their uh, tries came from turnovers, I think, from England. And then another one came from some bad defence. I was listening to Dan Bigger break down. England's blitz defence and it was really good and and he said look we blitzed under Sean Edwards for years and he said we would never have done what England did for that first mm-hmm. Scotland try because it was a bad mistake it was shocking defence and they so Hugh Jones has his annual good game <laughs> against England um, but yeah like I said the Scotland they just they just hold your arm's length and then pick off the drives. And I can imagine what if you were watching that as an England fan, I've been there loads of times as a Wales fan watching us play the All Blacks, where it feels like we're giving them a game, we're giving them a game, we're giving them a game. Hang on, we've lost by 20 points. How did that happen? And mm. maybe Scotland are going to be able to start getting there in some of these games. And like I say, I feel like they've established themselves as clearly, you know, what is it, six Calcutta Cups in the last seven seasons? They're clearly ahead of England now. There is a level above them. So let's talk about England. We've gotten to the bits in the script, which says England bashing. Um, so you can go first this week. 
<laughs> and then I'll, I'll I'll come on to it later because everyone's everyone's caught up now. So two weeks ago I was I was calling bullshit on the England rebuild, and now everyone's doing it. So we need to be a step ahead. We need to double down. So what extra can we call out about England at the moment? Look, it, there's no shiny way from it. They, they were poor. Like the the standout for me was just I believe it was 25 handling errors and 24 turnovers like it's it was just uh, they're just so frustrated like I'd hate to be an England fan because I just find their their style of play so boring to watch um but it's it's as if like like for me that like they did try to play a lot more rugby in this game than they're pretty like compared to their say world cup games like I thought they tried to play with a bit more Oomph, that a bit more like they 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 had quick ball, but then it was like, what the hell do we do with this quick ball? <laughs> like, and then just some of their basic like handling or like just their passes weren't out in front of their men. Like it was just they went out, they said, okay, we're getting all this criticism because you know we we play a boring style of rugby and all we do is kick the letter off the ball. Let's try to play with a bit more ball and hands. And um, but for their ball and hand, I think it's mainly just one off runners, um, or little tip on passes, and. They just don't seem. They just seem to really lack um, handling skills at the moment. And this is something that we we spoke about during, like, before, even before the World Cup, during the World Cup. Like, it's an issue now. And um, like, I know the conditions weren't perfect, but like, there does come a time where you have to have a certain stand. Like, I don't think you'd see an Irish team drop the ball that that amount of times. And that's where they should be, especially with their player player pool. Like, it it was just for me that that was the biggest frustration. Because it takes, like, it just takes the momentum out of a game, especially when they're they're building, they're building, and then it's just a drop ball. Um, but I really do think they just they just try to play a bit differently in this game. They said we'll try to just play with a bit of pace, um, create space, bring all that you know that that famous grunt that they bring to games and make it a nightmare at the breakdown. But again, their discipline was poor at that. Like, it's just I find them so frustrating. Um. Uh, to, to watch but I really do think now having said all those negative things about them they're going to come out in two weeks time and put it up to Ireland um, and put in a decent performance they will not play I don't think similar to the similar to the way they did against Scotland I think they will just absolutely kick everything um, and this isn't to say that they they played with a lot of ball in hand I think against Scotland they were just they just tried to be a bit more ambitious but they it, it's like after one or two phases they're not going anywhere they just like it's as if they just run out of options. They just put these little dinks, little chips through. They just lead to nothing, and the ball just rolls into touch. And um, or Ford gets into a good position, and then his first thought is, "I'm going to fire this up in the air." And um, and I just think, yeah, that they need to. For me, like England under Borthwick are going nowhere. Like they're not going yeah. in any silverware, and that that will only change if he's gone. Um, unfor- like it's not a nice thing to say, but like let's call a spade a spade that they're going nowhere with him in charge and for me I think I think it might have been a scoop or maybe on this pod where we said you know we asked each other like where should England go now like what should they do and I remember saying what they need to do is just focus on their basics and focus on their their kick pressure game and just get really really good at that and I think that's what they're going to do against Ireland I think that's that's what they should focus on that boring brand of rugby and they should they should stop trying to do anything different because I don't think I don't think they have the coaches, and I question if they have the players. No. But they have the playing pool, and if somebody like Zach Mercer not playing for them, which is just bizarre. Anyway, what's your what's your take on? Well, on yeah, I mean, yeah, they they're trying supposedly trying to change their style, but with all the same players, and everyone's finally woken up to the fact that they haven't actually changed their team, which is what we said two weeks ago. Um, the you say that they're trying they're playing, trying to play a bit more. Their first possession in the game, it was a line out, it was one phase, and the ball went up in the air. And I was like, there you go. There's England. They're back. And I tweeted after the game via the pirate account. Like, because that was the old England played. When does the exciting new England kick off? Like, it's, and I completely agree with you. Why would the, why are they trying to change? They're not going to do it. They're not going to change. They're not going to play exciting rugby with the players that they've got. And they're not going to do it well with the coaches that they've got. Stick to it. Why are the, why are the players coming out and saying, we want to connect to the, so the fans, we want to play exciting rugby. Why is the England captain, Jamie George, coming out and saying, we want to change how we play and, and be more exciting? Own it. You got to a World Cup semi-final and nearly beat South Africa. 
Why aren't you yeah. coming out and saying, yeah, this is how we play and we get results. This is our identity. We are that team. Because at least, you know, there's that you can get a bit of respect for saying that and people can buy into it. You, you, would you ever catch the Springboks apologising for how they play? Or New Zealand apologising for how they play? Ridiculous. Own it. Mm. Be who you are. And like I said, Ollie Lawrence found out at test level once again, the annual finding out of Ollie Lawrence. You're not playing against Gloucester every week, Ollie. Sorry. Like, as, the, if you look at, again at the stats that Russ Petty put out, they're worse than they were last year. And like you say, they're going nowhere. And I feel like there's a real power struggle going on in England. Like there was a whole banter about the four vice captains thing. And I, I, my little conspiracy theory about that, and it's only a conspiracy theory, you know, three of those four vice captains are directors of the new player group, the Team England rugby thing, since they split from the RPA and they're now represented. So I just feel like Borthwick is new coach. Remember, this is, he got the England job in his second full year as a professional coach. That's when he got that job. And I, I feel like there's a bit of a struggle going on in the dressing room. Something's not right. I don't understand why all the players are coming out and saying they need to change how they play. And they're just, they're just meh. Like I said, Scotland are clearly better than them. Um, and I just don't, I completely agree with what you said. Just go back to the old game. Like, whenever they've been under pressure, like they were, they've been behind at halftime in every game so far, this Six Nations. And I think they've been behind at halftime like against teams like Samoa and Fiji and things in the in the last games, who who are great and are massively talented players, obviously. And then in the second half, they always just go back to the to the old thing and the whole thing that everyone's talking about about Ben Spencer. You know, everyone was saying bring Ben Spencer in because he'll he'll help ignite England's attack. Four minutes from time, trailing by ten points, box kick on the halfway. This is who they are. Yeah. yeah. So why why I don't understand why people are. Expecting England to change, and I completely agree with you. They're not, never going to change whilst Borthwick is in charge. So wh- why not just be who you are and be good at that rather than trying to fake your way into something else? Yeah, like we we, we made a big deal out of, and, and rightly so, of you know Eddie Jones sacking. But like, what has what has changed? And especially in terms of style of play, like nothing. Like They're more conservative than they were under Eddie Jones. Yeah, they just have an English guy as their head coach now just uh, and it's interesting that you 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 mentioned Borthwick's kind of lack of experience which is which is spot on I think like during our discussion of Raj two weeks ago Ronagar like we you know he's done the opposite where he's just spent so much time in the club game now so it's it's almost going to be an inevitable step for him but you know it would have been a mistake to put Raj in charge like imagine Raj being in charge of Ireland after a year or two um coaching La Rochelle or coaching Munster or something like it would just be and then he'd be he'd be slated and then yeah it's yeah I, I don't think they're going anywhere and I don't think they are going to go anywhere until there are some serious changes but yeah they if they just focus on what they're good at you know they, they can get to a World Cup <laughs> they can get further than Ireland doing a World Cup you know yeah it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, speaking Shall of... Shall we move on to the most depressing game of the weekend? Yeah. 13 all, draw between France and Italy. Obviously, the big talking point was... The big talking point was the ball hitting the post at the end. And, you know, we're not going to talk about, like, should the kick have been retaken? Because my kind of view is, if it had gone over, no one would have cared. So, it is what it is. The, the players charging at it didn't make it fall off the tee. Unless there's some kind of very funny pressure differential going on inside the stadium great stadium by the way um 
Although the smoke issue was quite annoying. Yeah, to watch. I think they were all just having a having a cigarette in the stands, watching it being very French. <laughs> um, so come on, um, what's happened to France? What's gone? What's gone wrong? They, it's your typical French situation. Like I wouldn't be surprised to see Galtier gone, um, even before the end of this tournament. Um, I don't know what's gone wrong, and um, obviously, it, like it's. It was interesting listening to Bigger um, speak about it on the pod this morning. Like, he, like for him, it's it's obvious that they haven't gotten over that that quarterfinal defeat in the World Cup. Uh, it's a question that we asked on this pod, and um, you know, with the, with the beginning of Six Nations approaching, we said, "How will France and Ireland react to the World Cup disappointments?" And France have just reacted really, really poorly. Like, I don't know if it's a it's a mental thing. Are the player have the players lost? You know, confidence in the coaching staff. I don't know. Like they're just, they just seem like a different team, don't they? Um, like obviously mm. they've got some major injuries. They have Anton Dupont lighting up the sevens world, but there's got to be more going on than that because they haven't lost half their team. You know what I mean? And it's well, it's funny you should mention that. So I've just looked up France put sixty points to seven on Italy in the World Cup just a few months ago. So I've just looked up the team for that. So the team was back to front. Ramos, Peno, Fiku, Dante. So identical to the team that started against them in the weekend so far. Bielbere on the wing, and then Jalibert and Luku. So uh, Dupont had his face smashed at this point, so didn't play in this game. So out of that back line, six of the seven players are the same. And then we go into the front row. Cyril Bai wasn't there. Malvaca, Antonio, Waki, all there. Uh, Flamont wasn't there. Gelange wasn't there. Olivon played in that game and then Aldrete uh, obviously was injured and Kroos was on the bench. So Kroos started this game and Telfi Fanua was on the bench as well as was Aldegheri. Bugarit, I think, was there as well. So it's not a massively different team. It's just I can't put my finger on what's wrong with them now. Obviously, they lost their inside centre to a red card, which was a stonewall red card. and I'm glad there's been no debate about it. And they what a stupid lost. red card though! Like bend at the hips, don't see. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Hard. There, there were there, there were yeah, there was no mitigation. That was a that was one that I think the ref could have, you know, given a red a straight red card for. But yeah, I don't. Look, I the don't, book was there for good reason. Like, yeah, I don't think I don't, I don't blame the ref for. Like it takes away so much. Like I like the way they just take that decision away from the ref and it just it's just dealt with and then there's no drama there, no replays. We're not wasting time. I do like that, but. For me, it's almost, you need to just give that straight yeah. away because it was so, so idiotic. So they had to have a bit of a reshuffle. So Ramos went into 10, but he's been playing 10 all season. Now, he hasn't played much 10 for France. I don't know how many games he's played at 10 for France, but he's played all but one game for Toulouse at 10 this season. And then, you know, fortunately, they had Moafana on the bench, who was a 12. So Moafana could come in and slot at 12. And then... So you haven't lost too much there. So I think they were playing without a winger because Labelle, the other winger, has played fullback a fair bit. So he he moved into fullback. So the rejig wasn't so bad. And they I think they'd emptied their bench by about the 48th, 48th minute. They'd made all of their changes. So they kind of coped with it. But they just didn't. Some, something's up with that team. Something's just not clicking. Now, I would be shocked if Galtier lost his job I think that would be incredibly harsh like one bad Six Nations and you're out but you know Treff French I suppose it's the French um, yeah <laughs> um Jouet it's Italy I saw um Rugby AP tweeted shout if you're listening if you are listening DM me <laughs> um tweeted it's the best Italy performance of the professional era I disagree I don't think Italy were particularly good in this game. I don't know if you've got a, a view on that. I don't think they're. It's not the best Italian performance we've seen. I a lot of this, I yeah, for me a lot of this came down to how poor France were. I think both teams were poor. I think Italy scoring one try on the 65th minute, like is that the best you can do really? It was a really good try. I give them that and like. Um, Capuzzo getting into all of the, the teams of the week off the back of that try I'm like I didn't think he was that good I didn't obviously uh, Manoncello who we identified on the pod with the Switzerland scrums uh, crew 
picked him out as being a star of the future and he absolutely is he's fantastic but i didn't think italy were all that special i thought this was two teams really struggling um and a lot of people in wales now are going like there's this one particular guy who i won't name because i want to burn any, any bridges but he's a broadcaster and everything about wales that he tweets is negative so whenever the welsh team whenever the welsh squad is announced he's like oh look at these players we haven't picked and then he he after the this draw he was like oh that result is bad for wales in both ways I'm like what and I'm like oh because uh france will be wounded and they'll come for us and then italy has shown that they're good i did i thought both teams were poor and there's a lot of people in wales now saying that you know i reckon we could give, have a go at france in cardiff and you know, Italy are better than they were at the World Cup again, but that's not saying too much. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to have hubris about it, because um, God knows we've lost to Italy and Cardiff before. But I, I think Wales are a step ahead of Italy. I'm, I'm kind of comfortable with that. Italy have got some fantastic players, but they're still a bit soft. The amount of territory that they gifted to France in their 22 and the mistakes that they made in their own 22. It's still like same old, same old. They someone messaged me. They need to get the Sean Edwards kick the fucking ball um, when you were in our own half type yeah. discussion. It's incredibly frustrating to watch that. Yeah, and unless they, you're Ireland, and you know they've got a complete structure to it and they've gone straight yeah. back to low. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, I thought both teams were quite poor to be honest, and I think a 13-all draw is is representative of the game. It would have been great to see Italy win it, and don't 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 anybody think that I'm hating on Italy. I'd have been thrilled to uh, see Italy get that win it would have been historic but I just thought it was a, a poor game all round to be honest I mean 13 all is kind of the clues in the scoreline really anyway and let's not forget that Italy have a new coach as well and they're building yeah. and they're we know that their sides are doing really well uh, relatively speaking in the ORC so I think that it, it's a it's a good it's definitely a good sign but I wonder does it point more towards a really unhappy French so I had a, management who know. I had a knows. question about this, and people can let me know in the comments if this is completely outrageous. Are Benetton better than Italy? It's a really good question. How how would Benetton get on in the Six Nations? Because I know I think I know how Leinster would get on in the Six Nations. Really well. <laughs> so I don't know. It's one for one for people to ponder. Anyway, let's move on to uh Bit of other chat then. Is there anything else that we needed to add on the Six Nations there, mate? No, I think that this, yeah, looking forward to the last two rounds. We could Same. be in for some upsets. I think Wales have a great chance against France. They absolutely do. Gatton will have them fired up. I think England will make a good game out of, uh, I don't know, a good game, but they'll make it competitive against Ireland. Um, yeah, it's, it's an exciting few few weeks coming up and maybe it'll all come down to that last weekend with Ireland v Scotland and maybe Scotland will win. Not going to happen, but still. Not going to happen. <laughs> All right, there's so much rugby to talk about other than the Six Nations. It was crazy, and it's getting even crazier next week. So we'll strap in, everybody. Right, so we're going to start with women's rugby. So the uh, Rugby Europe women's has started. We've talked about the Rugby Europe men's on a couple of pods. I thought Rugby Europe women's was starting this week, but no. So it's a bit confusing. So the, there's a, it, rather than being played in sort of your normal full game week uh, rugby europe women's is being staggered and there's a very good reason for it which i'll explain to you now so the netherlands have played two one two they've played portugal and sweden and no other games have been played other than those two games the reason for this is that the netherlands are the highest ranked women's team in the world not playing in wxv they have a playoff game against colombia uh, in a few couple of weeks. I'm not sure of the exact date. I'll check later. And so the winner of that game gets promoted to WXV3. So it's actually a promotion relegation playoff. So Colombia would keep their place. Netherlands would get promoted into it. But that clashes with when they wanted to play this Women's Rugby Europe Championship. By the way, there's only four teams in it, I believe. Netherlands, Spain, Sweden, Portugal. And Spain aren't going to kick off their games until... Um, I think the last weekend of the March and then they play all three of their games one week after another. So much more normal. So this is spread out quite far. So between Netherlands last game and their next game is over a month. 
in this competition, but it's because they've got that playoff game against Colombia. This has all been negotiated by the participating regions, sorry, participating unions, and it's been all agreed. So this is what's happening. Uh, the next game is in two weeks' time, and it's Portugal versus Sweden. So that's what's happening. So at the moment, Netherlands are top, and people are expecting Netherlands to win it. Be interesting to see how Spain gets on. Right, what's happening in the PWR? So Gloucester Harbury are still on top after beating Sale, where there was also a 19-0 draw between Quinns and Exeter. There is a good bit of PWR action coming up on our screens this weekend, but we'll get into that when we get down to the TV guide. What's going on in the uh, Celtic Challenge? So we had the penultimate round of the Celtic Challenge. Uh, Wolfhounds from Ireland have been crowned the champions. This was the amalgamation of Leinster and Ulster with the patchwork kit. Um, and I think they were comfortably the best team in the whole tournament. They always looked like they were going to be the winners of it, and they have. So congratulations to them. Inaugural winners, historic achievements. Uh, in the other game that happened at this weekend, uh, Gwalior Lightning uh, beat Glasgow quite handily. And next weekend, there is a big Welsh derby at Parker Scarlet. So there's a doubleheader at Parker Scarlet in West Wales between Clovers and Edinburgh. We should be a very good game. They're two very good teams. And the Welsh Derby, which is happening after that. So hoping for a good crowd to turn up to Parker Scarlet's to watch that. Um, Gwalia will be favourites due to being, uh, like I said, an excellent team. But it's a home game for, th- for Thunder. And Thunder are my team, so I'm, of course, backing them to win. Right. Uh, into some men's or slash junior rugby. No, junior rugby first. So under 26 nations. Ireland beat Wales, predictably quite comfortably, 43 points to five, something like that. Um, England beat I Scotland. I saw that park, uh, Mosgate Park as well, which is quite impressive. Oh, was it? Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch much of that game? Didn't catch much of this game, but it's also, so I don't know if you're familiar with Mosgate Park, like it's Munster's second ground, so like it's where Munster yes. are playing yeah. Zebra this coming weekend. So it's not it's not the biggest stadium by any means, but it's still that's still a very, very healthy figure to see. Um, so great result for the guys. Yeah, um, like I said, England beat Scotland, but Italy beat France. So Italy beat France in a friendly before the Six Nations, and now they've beaten them mm. again in the Six Nations proper. So a historic moments. Italy under 20. You have to remember France are the world champions, by the way. Don't forget. I know that under 20s, obviously, the team refreshes quite regularly, but still. Um, Italy uh, under 20s have been building for a few years. and They've been getting closer and closer and closer. So for this to finally happen is excellent. They gave Ireland an almighty scare of a couple of weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, fantastic. Um, Forza Italia there. The other junior, it was kind of junior and kind of not game that happened. It was England A versus Portugal A. Not Portugal senior, as some people have claimed. It was Portugal A. Mm-hmm. Played at Welford Road. Not a competitive game. Uh, finished 91 points to five in favour of England. So England's team was a senior team. It wasn't really a development team at all. Like um, Charlie Yules was playing in it. So there was players who have played for England's seniors. Um, and this Portugal team was a, a very development, very developmental team. You could see there was a clear difference in by the conditioning of the of the players. The England players were visibly much bigger. And there was a lot of uh, Portuguese players really struggled to to make successful tackles and things. I've only seen the highlights on YouTube, so I can't speak for the full game. Portugal did score a try, uh, which got the biggest cheer of the day, of course. And it's great that Portugal are getting these opportunities to play these games. But I don't know, I kind of question the... I kind of question what this England A side was for, really, because there were so many really experienced players in it that it kind of it didn't I'm not sure what kind of purpose it served people saying that it was to capture players who were dual qualified so now they play for England A they're tied to England anyway um, uh, Portugal A now play uh, uh, an all Ireland league team don't they I think is their next game I believe so yeah okay so we'll keep an eye out on that hopefully that's a bit more of a competitive fixture right uh Southern Hemisphere. So we split this weekend's club rugby round up to Southern Hemisphere and Northern Hemisphere. So we're doing Southern Hemisphere first. Going to start about Super Rugby. So generally, mate, um, we've seen loads of clips go viral and things. You watched the Chiefs Crusaders game. 
it feels very back, doesn't it? It feels like a lot of excitement about Super Rugby on socials and things at the moment. Yeah, and it's a lot of prominent Twitter accounts pushing it, which is good to see. Uh, pushing it a lot more than Sky Sports, which is so strange. I said this last year, the Sky Sports Rugby Union Twitter account has not tweeted about this tournament. Um, and Sky showed every single game live this past weekend, and they're showing every single game live this coming weekend. Um, it does show you where Sky's head's at, I think, is in terms of um, their coverage of Super Rugby and, and how how much they value it. But it's still re- really disappointing that they're not pushing it more. But or or sharing clips as well, like everybody sharing clips from like Stan Sport yeah. and from um, Super Rugby Pacific's page on Twitter. So that that's quite strange. Um, but look, it's I'm delighted it's back. Um, I really hope the Australian teams are more competitive uh, this year. But look, let, let's like I don't know for for you like are you like for me there's definitely there's a bit of a narrative out there in the northern hemisphere that it's lost its hour and you know it's it's lost the South African teams people don't care about it as much. We spoke about it at length last week I suppose, but did did I guess I'll rephrase that like did did the games results kind of live up to your expectations? Are you excited for this tournament still? There was no shocks in the results for me not none that so maybe the reds beating the waratahs by a hefty margin but apparently the waratahs has uh, a really nasty injury in their captains around the day before the game that kind of affected them apparently that's what jade told me um shout out jade hope you're having a great day mate um i don't know super rugby is definitely the best at promoting itself on social media and i think there's people who see the clips but don't actually watch the games who think it's like a magical amazing thing I'm quite grumpy and I'm quite a purist. So when I see like the Reds or I can't remember whether it's Reds or Rebels player hoofing the ball on the volley, I'm like, Reds, throw up. <laughs> I, I, I've got no time for that kind of nonsense, um, personally. And there was another clip of a, a ball. It got offloaded inside, bounced off a guy's face, bounced back to the guy who had offloaded it. And that guy scored a try. I'm like, this is why people take the piss out of Super Rugby. But like I say, I'm grumpy. And if people want to call me a hater, fine. Everybody else is allowed to enjoy it. And you know what? I'm going to be renewing my Sky subscription this week and I'm going to watch it. So maybe I'm the idiot. What were the actual results uh, of the games, mate? Do you want to talk us through what actually happened? Yeah, so the best game of the weekend was the opening game, which was the Chiefs uh, versus the Crusaders. Chiefs uh, pipped it. So um, I forget what the final score was, but it was actually quite close in the end. But we also saw, as you mentioned, the Reds beat the Waratahs um, with former Wales out half uh, having gone viral with the killer pass as Highlanders got a win over Moana. Um, our Drua favourites suffered a tricky first half away uh, to the Blues and went down 34-10. Uh, the Rebels also lost at home to the Brumbies. Uh, they lost by 27 points. That game finished 30 points to three. Just quickly while oh I remember, gosh. so the rumour is that with the Rebels potentially, be, this broke just before the pod. So it's re- reported by America's Oval that um, with the Rebels potentially going out of Super Rugby, they would be replaced by uh, Jaguars, who would come back, wow. who were in negotiations to come back anyway but that would be stepped up by a year. And apparently Jaguares are very, very keen to come back. So they would happily do that. But that's that's just the rumour at the moment. What else happened? Oh, one thing we have to touch on as well is the Gumshield drama. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but there were six games, as we mentioned, uh, in Super Rugby in the opening weekend, but there were actually eight players removed um, for HIAs um, due to hits that were hit up, picked up by the the new gumshield technology that we've all seen uh, introduced in six nations there haven't been that many players in six nations off the top of my head that i can think of that have been removed i know i think van der vleer was removed and subsequently actually ended up passing his hia but there were a lot in the opening weekend which has raised a few flags but i i know one for certain was it was an error uh, there was a tech there was a glitch so i think you know towards the end of the chiefs crusaders game uh, Anton Leonard Brown was removed, um, but that was 100% due to a glitch. Mm. And there seems to be a lot of negative press coming out of yeah, a lot of the the players and, and the coaching staff from Super Rugby sides, which I think is not a good look. Um, we all know what this type of technology needs to be introduced. Um, I don't know what, what's your take on this, mate. Are you like, for uh, me? It's just shut up and get on with it. Like, yeah, it's it what it is. I'm surprised that we know that it was the gum shields that caused it. Like, why announce it? Just 
it's part of the medical procedure of the game. I don't understand why we, it's even a matter of discussion. I know sometimes in the Northern Hemisphere, we think that super, the Southern Hemisphere guys aren't quite caught up to the head impacts debate. Like They still do the 20-minute red card thing that I don't like. So, yeah, I'd, I think just get on with the guys. And were you watching, was it the breakdown that did a, they had the medical guy on explaining it? They did indeed. The former Irish um, medical officer, the Irish team medic, basically his name's El Aina, I think is it Falby. Um, so he did a really interesting interview. And yeah, they're, they're still gathering data. They're still, you know, he, he did like, so basically there's been a bit of a negative reaction to um, the amount of HIAs that there were in the opening round, but he did, you know, bring us back to the beginning of the HIA process and how there was a bit of confusion on that. There were teething issues. It took teams quite a while and players and coaches to get used to it. But now it's just like everyone, nobody questions HIAs anymore. People just, they see one, they see a player coming off and like they know it's for a good reason. So I think mm. it's going to take us a while to maybe get used to it and accept it, but it is what it is. Like it's, it's all about player safety. And mm. the last thing people should be worrying about is, is yeah, complaining about players being removed. Um, yeah. and we're talking about their brains um, but one thing I actually noticed as well I don't know if you ever noticed this watching the like a, not a single player playing in the Crusaders Chiefs game was wearing a scrum cap um, do you ever notice that none of the All Blacks players ever wear a scrum cap so am I, am I making that up but for me a lot of New Zealand professional players don't seem to, to wear them as much yeah, as players from like, other countries and if like you do the, by the way if i'm being if i'm completely oblivious to uh, a prominent all black please let me know in the comments but yeah what, what's your thought mate yeah no i can't think of any either now you mention it either i'm sure like some of them will have worn one while they were recovering from like a cut or something and it feels like all the most famous australian players like you picture like australian rugby players you think of the scrum cap and the gloves like they seem to all wear that Obviously, I can think of loads of ones from different countries. In South Africa, it seems to be the backs that mostly wear the scrum caps, not the forwards. Also, speaking of gloves, is that should there be, a, should the gloves be brought back and maybe just like, should a glove company do a deal with England rugby and see if that improves their handling? I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's what they need. Yeah, uh, just just an interesting, yeah. Yeah. So people let us know in the comments below, name an all black who wore a scrum cap. We can't think of any. But we're going to get destroyed in the comments. Let's move on. Let's move on to Japan Rugby League One. So the Brave Lupus uh, are up to second with a win over Cannon Eagles, while Salim Williams, Williams, I should say, was kicking the goals for Kuboto Spears as they beat Kenetsu Liners. What's going on in Super Rugby Americas, Hugh? So the Dogos are two from two after beating the Cobras. The Cobras obviously got that fantastic win in week one over Peñarol. The other Argentinian team, Pampas, are just behind Dogos, having beat American Raptors, who sit bottom. Into the Northern Hemisphere results. So arguably the game of the weekend was the one that I alluded to earlier, which was the Paris derby. Um, you saw Stade Francais stay top. It was a very well-earned win, but Toulouse are now level on points with them after beating Clermont. Bordeaux lost again, this time to Castro. Uh, Castro now overtake them to go third. And Oya now are hosting Montpellier next weekend in a six-pointer, relegation six-pointer. So we'll keep an eye on the result for that one. Into the Pro de Deux, Provence missed a chance to go top after losing to fourth-placed Angoulême. Angoulême. Uh, there was also a big win for Colomiers over Biarritz. So the top of the Pro de Deux is fascinating this season. Like there's three teams, Bezier, uh, Vaughan and Provence, any of them could go up and they've all got their own thing and they're all very different, but they've got really interesting characters as clubs and teams. So I'm loving following the Pro Did, uh, even though you can't watch it in the UK. If you go on YouTube, you can find highlights of all the games, uh, including SI de, de la Week, which is a great watch. And there's always some fun tries in there. Anyway, what about the English Championship, mate? So Coventry stayed in the battle for second with a win over Amtel, uh, but they're a but they're a long way behind Ealing, who beat Cambridge by 50 points. In terms of the AIL, there were no games this past weekend, so we've nothing to cover there. But let's move on to the TV guide and look forward to the rugby that's coming up. So the URC is back. 
we've got Connacht versus the Scarlets and Bulls versus the Stormers. They're just so rugby derby take two. Big ones coming up. I think the Bulls, last time I checked, have sold over 30,000 tickets, so as you do. Over 30,000. Um, so looking forward to so that. The, the Stormers in the last couple of months will have played in front of 30,000 people more than they wouldn't have. It's insane. No, no other rugby club in the world is doing this. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, yeah, it's safe to say I think the South Africans have bought into the URC, so we can kind of put that old debate and question mark that question to to bed. Uh, there's no Six Nations coming up, but that's not a problem because there are 31 games confirmed that are going to be televised across Ireland and the UK. We're still waiting on Viaplay to announce whether or not they're going to be showing many of top 14 games because there is quite because Viaplay's third channel is now gone so they don't have as much capacity so we're not sure if they're going to short our putting is they probably will they'll probably just stream them um, on their app but we'll listen out to or watch our socials uh, for more updates on that but we've got URC we've got top 14 we've got rugby Europe championship we've got Celtic challenge we've got uh, Premiership Women's Rugby there are actually four games as well being broadcast um, in that league which is really good to see uh, some of them are going to be available on. So I know the first game between Gloucester Harkery and Exeter is going to be on TNT Sports 1. Um, but there will also be a game on Saturday as well between Ealing and Bristol on YouTube. Um, and there will also be another game between Saracens and Tigers also available on YouTube. We'll have the full schedule out in our Friday um, pod. So don't worry. And we'll have it out on our socials. And there's also a game on Sunday on TNT Sports. So great to see four games televised we usually only get one so i think that's good to see and there is of course more super rugby back um but maybe more importantly for our fans in the united states if we have any uh major league rugby is back this weekend and i remind you that you can watch all games for free on the rugby network Phew. is that it mate or did we forget anything i have no doubt that we'll have forgotten something we will be informed (laughs) (laughs) i can't wait to find that to find out that we've missed probably like the greatest all black of all time and find out that he wore a scrum and i don't want i don't want a photo of richie mccall wearing a scrum cap once that's not i want an all black who wore one every game please anyway let's leave it there (laughs) thanks everyone cheers Oh, I've got to edit that. It took me ages to stop. Sports Social Podcast Network.